Blog Talk Radio. Whatever he hears. He will speak. He will disclose. What is to come? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to WI2C Radio. Revelation Revealed. Timeline. It's all coming true. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this edition of the End Time Tribune. This timeline overview, so to speak. The Bri is not in the saddle yet, so we will proceed until he gets here. We've been planning on doing this for quite some time. Everybody knows that. But here recently, uh, a lot of questions come across my plate, especially from my wife. I was in the middle of doing something the other night, and she kept interrupting me. (laughs) And it was not really apropos that she do so. I was doing something very important with another group. So, to make a long story short, uh, there was much consternation over Zechariah chapter 2 and the who, what, where, when about that. When's it going to happen? Has it happened? Is it an isochronal event? So it's that that prompted the Brian and I to go ahead and jump in the saddle and start WI2C Radio back up. We've had uh, multiple hosts in the past try to do this. Uh, that has all, well, come up short. So Brian and I are just going to do this ourselves. Well, we're just going to talk about it. We're going to get into the meat and potatoes of it about just exactly what is to come. What's what's going to happen? What are we waiting for? Uh, what are the series of events that's going to happen? It's these things that are critically important to not only your state of mind, but your state of well-being. There are many people out there right now that are literally living on a bed of roses. They literally think that nothing bad will ever befall them. Even though we have existential evidence contrary to that. Now, ladies and gentlemen... Brian and I have shared here recently just exactly the ratio 
to the population of Venezuelans that are in fact Christians that are enduring massive hardship right now. That's just one. And yet, Christians, particularly in the United States of America, have absolutely no, no fear that they are ever going to endure anything at the behest of the Lord their God. They think that they not only are perfectly fine inside their rebellious actions, thinking that liars will enter the kingdom of heaven, thinking that adulterers will enter the kingdom of heaven. They think that thieves, they literally have determined in their own hearts that the scum of the earth will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Even though you provide for them all of the biblical strata of criteria for entering the kingdom of heaven, they completely reject that. They don't want to hear anything about those verses. The churches in which they attend will never even preach on entire books of the Bible, much like James. They won't even mention its existence. Most of these churches um, have gotten to the point that what they'll do for the Sunday sermons is just regurgitate the book of John over and over and over. When the preacher's done going through it, they'll just start back at John 1, and that's all they preach. I personally know of churches that have been doing this for upwards of 10 years. They've never left the book of John. Now, I appreciate that. I am in by no means taking away from the book of John as that is where this very series comes from. And when I usually read these verses, it usually confuses people. Because this is the proof in the pudding right here. John chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you unto all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. And yet, when it comes to the subject of eschatology, it's absolutely off the charts, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely off the charts. Let's take, for example, when the millennium is going to occur. Now, the Bible is quite point blank about when it's going to happen. How it's going to happen. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, we actually have 
debates about when that event's supposed to be. When that's is just as relevant as debating what color the sky is. I mean, we have all types, and they, the eschatology experts, and I say that with a grain of salt, of course, they even say them, themselves that these are theories, the pre-tribulational, pre-millennium theory, post-millennial theory, the all-millennial theory. Ladies and gentlemen, there is only one <laughs> thing that is going to happen, and it's not a theory. It's the millennium. It's on the timeline. If you don't know where it's at, if you don't know how it gets there on that timeline, you're being confused. God never put forth theories. He literally come out and told you when the millennium is, that's when it is, and it is at, and it occurs at no other point in time. Now, what amazes me is that you have disciplines of eschatology that is in itself based on a theory. Take this for an example. Theory number one, pre-tribulation. Mid-tribulation or post-tribulation? When the event in question that you're talking about is in itself fiction. They try to separate terms. They try to mingle theories which many of these theories, that's exactly what they've done. They've made something up that's fictional. They go on to make something else up, and then they start mingling those things, absolutely obscuring your ability to perceive what is to come. When the very verses that I just read to you makes it perfectly plain that if you are not sanctified with the Holy Spirit, you will not know what is to come. So if you are following one of these theories, don't you realize that a rational mind will be able to deduct this by themselves? If you don't know what is to come, you have not been sanctified with the Holy Spirit. Point blank. Now, of course, there is a time differential between being baptized and being sanctified. Of course. That is an event horizon, being baptized in the Spirit. And of course it takes a duration of time before you are sanctified. You have everything that you need. You've moved on from milk to meat. That's another way to put it. 
There is, in fact, many different ways to put it. But, ladies and gentlemen, you need to come to grips with this if you don't know what is to come. You're in danger. Because God himself said that was the purpose of the Spirit. <laughs> you need to be concerned with your well-being. Both mentally and physically. Is there any sin in ignorance? Of course not. But if you have jumped on these theoretical bandwagons, know this in your heart. They are, by biblical definition, a cunningly devised fable. That's what they are. But those things cannot affect your surroundings once you have been sanctified of the Holy Spirit. You need to consider that. You need to come to grips with that, ladies and gentlemen. You know, many of you right now are living in the very locations whose forefathers endured the black blizzards. endured the scourge of the Rocky Mountain locusts. Your own kin they endured World War II. They endured the Great Depression. All these things happening in 10 years, they didn't happen on different timelines or different localities. These things happened all in the same place. And you, being their posterity, located in the same exact place that these things happened, for some reason, someone has deceived you into believing your future lies on a bed of roses. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you realize what that means? It means that your own forefathers is going to bear testimony against you. That's what it means. Don't you realize that? You know, 
some of these very same people, when they were elderly, endured... Well, let's just talk about the blizzard of 77, 78. I mean, here where I'm located at now, I have no kin. But believe me when I say I've investigated these things and saw the snow up to the top of the telephone poles. I have read my history locally and even shuddered when I learned of the children's blizzard. Those things are real. They really happened. And I'm sitting right there, albeit in a different time, but in the same place. <coughs> Excuse me. So I need to come to grips with that. I need to prepare myself that, do you know how many children froze to death in huddles? Ladies and gentlemen, they... By the time the parents got to the schoolhouses, the children were in heaps, literally heaps where they had huddled together to try to keep warm and had frozen that way. No other time has it been recorded in history that when they started finding the corpses, ladies and gentlemen, when they tapped them, they would resound like metal. Human bodies would do that. It's the first time ever in history. People froze to death alive with their eyes open. This infamous event is called the children's blizzard. There's even a book written about it. I am a parent. How many daddies just like me finally made it to the one-room schoolhouse and found my entire seed had been wiped from the face of the earth? What would I do if the Lord my God did that to me? I'm in the same place. I go the same routes. Now, most of the routes they would have taken back then have been paved, but they are the same routes. You know, just this past week, me and my wife went to the closest grocery store to our east, and they have up all over the freezers and all over where, everywhere pictures <laughs> of that store from 1908. And I got a kick out of it because one of the pictures, it proudly displays a butcher with a broken nose. So I have a nickname for him. That's the butcher with the broken nose. But every time we go there, I study those pictures. I There is one picture where they have shoveled out the storefront so people could get the goods that were necessary to survival. But the streak, the snow is as deep as the rooftops. 
So I would be a fool indeed to think that if I am on this place, my future is secured on a bed of roses. I would be a fool to think that. Because you see, the Lord my God says there's no such thing as futuristic eschatology. He says there's no such thing as preterism or there are prophecies in the past. No, multiple times, multiple scriptures, he says with his own mouth that eschatology is isochronal. Now, I have no idea what happened during the events after the children's blizzard. I have no idea. And Lord have mercy, I don't want to know. But I may be called to walk down that same exact road that those daddies walked in my time. And I have proof beyond any shadow of a doubt that they did not waver to the left or to the right because there's still churches here. The same exact churches as a mitre of factor here. Proof they endured. So, as for me, I am well aware of my surroundings. And I hope. But make no mistakes, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot mislead me. You cannot. I know my history. I'm in the same location. And the Lord my God's already told me that if you're in the same location, you're going to wind up in the same time. Sooner or later. That's my thoughts on the present situation. Brian, how are you doing tonight? And uh, why don't you just share your feelings about well, how American, because it's really only American Christians that actually think their future <laughs> has been set upon a bed of roses and ordained by God to always be so, and it just blows me away, Brian. I, I, can't, I can't connect the dots with that thinking, but your thoughts on it, please. My thoughts on that, oh boy. Well, I mean, that's kind of uh, the mindset that really, on top of it, seemed to be amplified as we had this here last election. And you continue to see all over the place how this infamous idea that we suddenly have four years of grace or eight years of grace because they rallied behind Trump to get him into office, which is just the most utter nonsense I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, folks, but 
God's not going to reset his timeline because you voted in a president. I don't know where you people get this stuff, but then again, I don't know where you get 90% of the things that I hear coming out of the mouths within those circles. <clears throat> you know what I mean? To touch on the fact that you know, there were some very important things that were brought up in what Matthew stated there, folks. I mean, you need to consider the time frame that we are now living within. And then maybe take a look back at history and compare that because we have some standout things that have never happened in the face of world history across the course from 1899 moving forward through this 120-year cycle. The easiest one to see is most definitely the Great War. Why do I call it the Great War? Well, consider, since World War I started, it never ended. They put titles on each one, but it's never come to a close. Peace had been taken from the entire earth, and this continues to rotate and reoccur into a next phase. So maybe, you know, we could preferably call it World War Phase One, World War Phase Two, and we'll have an upcoming Phase Three. But we've never once seen peace come about. If you look at all the different things that happened at the supposed end of World War One, you're going to see that things continue to keep fighting kept happening in a lot of areas. You'll find that out when you come to the end of World War Two, And we're still in the midst of massive, there's massive war all over the planet. I mean, the United States right now is sitting, they've got special forces groups within 137 nations. Okay, we've had the Great Depression. We had that whip around again multiple times. We've had massive collapses with the economy that has not just only affected one nation as was a typical previous to these cycles before 1899. No, every time they happen, they affect the entire world. Once again, this ain't normal. So, you know, the atypical rant that I hear out of most people is that you can't understand these things, end-time prophecy, unless you're a quote-unquote, be it a scholar or... You know, you've been anointed for it. Those things aren't to be understood by everybody else. And that's, look, folks, that's nonsense. Stop telling yourself that. You have the same Bible that Matthew and I have. We don't have any specially written up one for us to do all this with. So I guess I kind of said a few things there, at least to get my end of things rolling. Yeah, get things rolling. You know, let's just let's just talk about this this conversation a little bit that we had this morning, Brian. You know, I'm I'm in the middle of something important. I'm, I'm discoursing with people not here in America, so. I'm in a room, well, I mean a virtual room, 
It's got over 80 people in it, and she keeps interrupting me with questions about Zechariah chapter 2. And and we talked about, I, I mean, Brian, it's not even 20 verses long. It is so obvious what it's talking about to you and I. It just comes via second nature. It's just second nature. When you know what the timeline is, you can read any chapter. How many times have we done this, Brian? We've done this publicly. I don't know how many times. Let's just, you know, what do you feel like doing, Brian? Well, let's read this or let's read that. And we just explain it. doesn't matter what chapter you go to. When you know what is to come, Brian, you just realize that just like the parables that Christ gave, he gives multiple parables about the same exact topic. So he rephrases it because it's common knowledge in the educational system that there are at least... Seven different methods of learning. Well, of course, the Lord our God is the one that came up with that. So, of course, he would take one event and describe it at least seven different ways. Knowing full well in advance... That the wedding garment he has prepared for his son is of many colors. So, you know, when you took, well, just describe that conversation that you and I had this morning, Brian. You know, what was your thoughts about it? What was your impression? I mean, you you brought it up and took a look at it. Did it confuse you at all, reading it? Or, or did you just naturally know exactly what he was talking about, Brian? Which which one was it? Or did you have to think about it? What was the deal? Now, I understood it immediately. There was a lot of... A lot of things that your mind should automatically recognize throughout other places in the Bible without hesitation... Without hesitation. Tell me, though, Brian. Could you possibly take a look at that chapter without remembering all of our conversations about what happens in Zechariah chapter 1 and what that's about? Could you look at that chapter without naturally, automatically inserting in Well, what's the big items we've talked about in Zechariah chapter 1, Brian? Is there any way you can separate that from chapter 2? I would say no, because that answer is rather simple, but no, you would not want to separate that out from 1, 2, 3, 4, Five, six, I'll stop. Yet it's amazing that, you know, we have 
members of our immediate family in the body of Christ. That had real questions about that chapter. And that's what kind of kind of upset me about that. You know, the first thing that she come out and asked me, I said, Boy, I've explained to them many times what Zechariah the first chapter means, so they need to just keep going and understand that, oh he's just giving us different details of what events is going to happen after those four classmen ride. He's giving you additional information that is critically important, not to the rest of the world. He's giving that specifically to his bride, and he's just using language that defines the same events with different Verbiage. That's all he's doing. And they know that those four writers are detrimental, detrimentally important to the whole schematic of things. They are sent out to patrol. What happens after the four writers of the apocalypse? is, of course, the martyrs begin to cry out. God tells them, okay, just wait a little while longer. We've got to complete your measurement. Now, that's not exactly what he says, but that is the phraseology needed for somebody to realize, oh, that's what's going on in Zechariah chapter 2. That's why the dude's got the measuring stick. That's right. He's counting. I mean, oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, you don't understand that's the purpose of a measuring rod? Ladies and gentlemen, you count with it. It's like a calculator. <laughs> don't, don't you realize that? The whole purpose of any measuring stick with any denominations of links on it its sole purpose is to count. I mean, take my tape measure. It's the same exact thing. I have to use it for anything that I do in, in carpentry. It tells me how many feet or how many inches is in this distance. It counts for me, ladies and gentlemen. That's all it does. The only thing a ruler does is count for you. It's just like a calculator. <laughs> but God's expecting you to know that. What are the different ways that I can tell you that something is going to be counted? In today's language, I'm going to tell you, we'll either do it by arithmetic, okay, what does that mean? That means get you some paper and get you something to write with and write it out longhand. Figure it out longhand. That's arithmetic. Or I'm going to tell you to get a calculator. Or I'm going to tell you to get a measuring rod. 
Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you're counting something, it must exist. Oh, my goodness. Did I take you by surprise? Let me say that one more time. You can't count things that don't exist. You can't do it. You cannot perform arithmetic with just a bunch of zeros. It can't be done. There's nothing there. So literally, ladies and gentlemen, if I want to tell you to get a physical object to help you count, you're stuck with one of two things. A calculator or a measuring rod. Let's take a yardstick. Let's just take a yardstick, ladies and gentlemen. If I tell you to take this thing, this, this measuring stick, I want to know what five times that measuring stick is. You're going to be able to immediately tell me using that yardstick. Well, there's three feet in there, so three times five, 15. You can just take the inch out of it. You can take the feet out of it. You're using it to count. I'm not lying to you. So, the Lord your God has restricted us to how many different ways he can explain to you that something is going to be counted or numbered. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, does that surprise you? It shouldn't. Only that which is tangible can not only be numbered, that's the only sort of thing that can be counted. That's the only sort of thing that can be measured. It's something tangible, something that is underneath the throne of God. Everything under the throne of God is what? Created. It exists. It's tangible. <laughs> so, with that in mind, there's all kinds of details just in Zechariah chapter 2. He says certain things that he would only say that for one reason. There's entities in that chapter that he's talking about. But if you don't know the timeline, if somebody has got you caught up thinking in uh, post-tribulational premillennialism or pre-tribulational premillennialism or post-millennialism, of course you have no idea. You do not have the wherewithal to understand there is more than one way you count something there is more than one mechanical devices that you can count with because somebody has you all confused with theories ladies and gentlemen 
Do you know why I didn't give you a line item list about these 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 theories I just mentioned? Because they're not tangible. Don't you understand that? <laughs> I only talk about that which is due honor. A theory's not tangible, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't exist. Therefore, it cannot be counted. God describes to you in-depthly, just in the book of Revelation, of when Christ is going to reign for 1,000 years. And it upsets me that that's how they have you all confused in the first place, because they call it millennialism. That's not in the Bible. Christ is going to reign for 1,000 years. It's the thousand-year reign of Christ. And don't have it. God didn't call it anything else. He didn't give any other descriptors to it. He never called it millennialism. It's not an ism, ladies and gentlemen. It's a fact. That you are going to live with eventually. So, think about that. You need to really think about that. Only that which is tangible can be counted, numbered, measured, Weighed so a timeline in of itself is tangible and it contains segments that define real events that is going to occur in creation. That's all God talks about. He don't talk about anything else. He does not talk about anything else. It, it amazes me. Just this past week, A very particular topic came up. Multiple places. You know, talking about the infamous prophecy that the Lord our God would call his Christ out of Egypt. And I just scratched my I just scratched my head. And I'm just like, so you don't know what that says in the Hebrew. Well, what do you mean? It's dire straits. It means dire straits. That's what the word in Hebrew means. And yet, you think your future is secured by God himself on a bed of roses. And it blows me away. Well, 
Why did he go to Egypt? Well, he couldn't go to Rome, ladies and gentlemen, because that's not what Rome means. Rome doesn't mean dire straits. You know, I was talking uh, to people. Uh, it was making me extremely irritated because this replacement theology. I said, really? Let's just pause for a minute. These verses that you're telling me about, you're confused about them. What does Israel mean? Where does it come from? Oh, well, that comes from uh, H-8280. Really? H-8280 doesn't have a yard. It doesn't begin with a yard. Did you know that? Well, they look at me like I'm crazy. Well, that's what my... I don't care what your dictionary says. It comes from H-3477. It means to make straight. And they get real quiet. Oh, whenever God uses that prophetically, he's saying, whom God makes straight. Yes, it's a playoff words off that infamous verse in the Bible. Everybody should know it, or I would hope so, that nothing can be straightened, that God has made crooked. Nothing, No one can make crooked what God has straightened. Yeah, it's a play on Hebrew words. Well, why would he use that word? Okay. I just explained to you what Egypt means. Just now. It means dire straits. And with one of them, I actually, actually lost my temper. I said, no, no, I'm not going to explain to you what dire straits means. Oh, my goodness. And the first thing they had to say, and I just... I know I shouldn't have lost my cool. But they actually asked me if I was talking about the musical group. It's completely uncalled for for me to lose my cool, but I didn't, you know, I didn't curse at them or anything. I just said, no, just stop right there. You need to go get yourself a dictionary and find out what dire straits means. When you look at it in English, it doesn't make any sense. Because God didn't write it in English. Brian, your thoughts on that? That um, <laughs> Well, your, your thoughts and comments on that... And anything you'd like to add? Well, I mean, it's, you know, for instance, as Matthew pointed out, dire straits, your mind should already have a slight indication of what that means. And just, you can even type it into a search engine, folks, and you can get the definition real quick. Very bad or difficult situation. I mean, that's 
fairly fairly easy. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, while Matthew was talking in the background, once again, I brought up Zechariah 2 in the background and just started going through these simple cross-references. And, folks, I mean, just by going through these cross-references to the very first verse alone, you get so much data, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, I, I wonder if anybody catches the little riddle that's right here in broad daylight in Revelation 21, verse 15 through 17, because if you look at that last portion in verse 17 and actually pull out a calculator, it's enough to blow your mind if you know what that number means when you do your math. But, I mean, this is this is what people should be doing no matter what, when they're studying, they should be looking at these cross-references. Bare minimum, you know, folks, you should have at least a Bible that's got some kind of cross-referencing within it. And, I mean, you do that, this answers so many of your questions so quickly. And yet... And yet there's questions about when that – there's different theories as to when that chapter happens, Brian. You know, it's almost like people have never read Psalm 78 before. They don't get it. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you go over to my blog site. I've left that post up there for a while. I just had questions, uh, more questions about this yesterday. Somebody sent me, well, your copyright on those was 1997. Yeah. You figured out all, all that out back at, no, no, no. I figured it out way before that. I made these slides uh, for a class I was taking in an institution of higher learning. They were dumbfounded. So you always had reckoned these things. Well, because I took a once-over of Psalm 78. I mean, you cannot read that chapter. It's impossible for you to do that and not come out with the proper reckoning of how the Lord your God counts. Because, I mean, this chapter is so, so popular with the simple fact that it has 72 verses in it. But in here, he makes himself perfectly clear. I mean, he even begins it letting you know. I'm about to riddle you. Now, the King James Version uses parable. That means riddle.
I mean, it usually gets people people's attention when, you know, they put that together with dark sayings that's in the second half of that verse. It's not only a riddle, it's a puzzle. Well, how are those two things different? (laughs) I mean, let's wrap our minds around this, ladies and gentlemen. Let me read verse 6. Of Psalm 78. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. If you don't know... What this verse is saying in at least the Hebrew, I'll leave the Greek alone today. But if you don't at least know the Hebrew and realize this is why that infamous verse in Matthew chapter 24, and that's all your favorite chapters, right? All of you that profess to study eschatology, that's your favorite chapter, right? We'll make a note of this. Because that verse says that in Psalms chapter 78, or, yeah, Psalms chapter 78. That's the reason why verse 19 was written in Matthew 24. And woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Just so you know. This is also why, uh, just so you all know, why Luke chapter 23 verse 29 was written. Uh, That's why they were there and God told you way up front. Now look, this is a riddle and a puzzle, so brace yourself. But that's why Luke chapter 23 verse 29 Chronicles this. It's not made up. It's not a little golden book. It's not a fairy tale. It's chronicling an actual event. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the paps which never gave suck. And if you're confused, it bears testimony to this. Number one, you cannot be sanctified of the Holy Spirit. That's number one. You can't be. Number two, 
It may or may not mean that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, just so you all know, there's a duration of time between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and your sanctification in the Holy Spirit. You have to grow up. I mean, let's take the woman that was going to be stoned. Let's say if she got saved that day, that was when she was baptized. She had no idea about the Ten Commandments. She had no idea about the Beatitudes. She had to learn a whole lot. The only thing she did know is that obviously her occupation was a sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ just told her, go and sin no more. He literally told her, go and change your employment. So, the Bible chronicles that the entire purpose of the Spirit is to teach you what is to come. Now, there is no amount of time that can be measured or numbered generically. I've already stated, well up front, there's at least seven different types of learning. Not everybody can learn by reading. Not everybody can learn by uh, repetition. Some people, they have to learn by actually doing something. They're not less. These ones that learn in one of these seven different categories, the categories are not less than or greater than. They're all equal to. But it takes time. It takes time. And you all need to really consider that. If I just talked about these two verses and it has you completely confused, you don't know what is to come. You can't, by extrapolation, know why. The individual, given the measuring stick in Zechariah chapter 2, is doing what he's doing. You can't understand it. You have no clue. Look at it this way. If you know what football is, now Americans immediately think in their mind, that's not played with a round ball. That ball's not round. 
I can take you to any location that that sport is being played regardless of teams, and you'll be able to immediately say, yeah, they're playing football. However, however, you bring somebody over here from France, and they're going to look at you like you're stupid. Because over there, football is soccer. It takes time to come to this knowledge because not a whole lot of soccer is played in the United States. Same thing. So if you don't know what is to come at this point in time, and you know in your heart you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm just giving you a heads up. You ain't been sanctified in the Holy Spirit. I'm just letting you know. Because I don't care who you are. God don't lie. He's above you. He always was, and he always will be. And this is what he says about the matter. I'll read them again. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he speaks, he will speak. Or whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. So if you're saying you're sanctified in the Holy Spirit, and don't know what is to come, you're calling God a liar. So, I'm bringing this knowledge to you. That though you may have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you may have a ways to go. Now, I hope not. Because I don't think we have too much farther to go, period. So just for your consideration. You know, what you are is defined by your actions. Did you know that? Water acts like water. All dependent upon its environment. Didn't you know that? Water can be liquid, water can be gas, and water can be solid. You should know which state you're in, and you should know which state is required. Your actions define that. And I will help you out. Your actions need to be countable by the use of two different types of instrumentation. One being the Ten Commandments and the other being the Beatitudes. If they are not able to be counted, measured, or weighed by those two different instrumentations, you are not 
sanctified. Brian, your thoughts. You've got the mic for a while. I've been rambling on quite a good pace. So, uh, what's your thoughts? Well, I guess to more or less sum that up, I mean, people process, folks. Everything doesn't come overnight, but if you don't make an attempt and try to understand these things, then, well, I would say to a degree it's going to be kept from you. You know, um... I don't know. Now, Brian, you can, Brian, you can say that a, with authority, can't you? You can say that with authority. Did not God say you would only find that which you sought, right? Yep. So if you don't seek it, of course you're not going to find it. You're too busy doing something else. So... <clears throat> I have got a terrible cold. So, Brian, we're going to take a break here. We've only got one show that we can play because we don't we don't have uh, a premium account anymore. So, I've only got three on the switchboard. So, we're just going to play the "Let Them Ride" intro. But your thoughts before we go into the break about the timeline itself. You know, when did you start coming to grips with the timeline, Brian? Well, I mean, I know I looked it over over and over and over and over again, and there was just too many huge issues with what the standard people within the eschatological circles were trying to tell people it said, and of course they all continued to argue about the timing of one certain event. And, you know, the more you look at the timeline back and forth and back and forth, and then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, it makes sense when you remove this, uh, how do we put this event that, well, does no, not exist? No, no theory. Let's just say what it is. Theory. Now, let's take up Psalm seventy-eight again. Does it ever mention that theory? Uh, in reference, these three timelines that I have at the top of the page on my blog site, Brian. Is that theory ever on any of those three timelines that I posted? And they're the same exact timeline. They're color-coded so you can see the segmentation of time. Is that theory ever on this timeline? Because if it didn't happen... I'll say no. No, it's not. It's not because, Brian, that's a theory. It's not an event. It's a theory. But you're right. 
they're lost in the placement of this theory on the timeline. Yeah, why don't you bring that up real quick, Brian? How quickly can you get to my blog spot that... Uh... Already done. So you can you can click on the pictures there and just there's one, two, and three. It's all the same timeline. I just used different words to describe the same well, and that's actually what God does, Brian. I mean that's exactly what he's doing. Uh, in Zechariah, in Revelation, in Isaiah, he's just rephrasing the same events. Psalm 78, <laughs> if you're talking about something that's not in Psalm 78, it's a theory. It doesn't exist. It cannot be counted. It cannot be measured. It cannot be weighed. And these timelines I posted are really elementary because I knew what I was up against. I mean, I walk in there, guess what's the first thing... These people ask me, Brian, when is the timing of this theory? And I actually looked at them like they were crazy. I'm like, what What are you talking about? And I'll never forget the two guys that were right in the right next dorm room to me the very first week. You know, they were just shocked that they come in and, you know, they were, of course, Christian ministry majors. They both went on to be preachers. Of course, neither one of them is preachers now. Because they were not allowed uh, to preach well from the Bible. So both of them went to two different states and... One of them didn't last two years and the other one... He lasted that two years. But they come to me and they saw me. Well, what on earth are you doing? Well, I'm reading Greek. Wait a minute. Well, what is that? Well, it's it's Jude. I mean, it's really simple. It's just one page. You can read that? Well, yeah. Oh my goodness, they were so excited. Of course. I didn't realize that they were so excited because I could help them cheat on their homework. <laughs> Which when you talk about the Word of God, you can't cheat. So they would just pop right next door and pop their head in my room. Hey, Matthew, what's, what's this verse? What verb tense is that? When is that going to happen? <laughs> First thing they wanted to, to discuss with me. When was the timing of this theory? And I had explained to them, oh, wait a minute, guys. What Greek word is that? Well, we don't know. Well, why don't you go find out? Well, they both come back. Well, actually, that's not a Greek word. Then guess what? I can't put it on the timeline because it is erythreal. It doesn't exist. It's not tangible. It, it don't go on the timeline. <laughs> it ain't there. It's fiction. 
With that being said, I agree, Brian. How how much of the church exclusively spends their time trying to put that theory on the timeline, do you think? And is it just me, or is it that's majorly what most of the end-time ministries talk about, right? Or am I wrong? So how much time oh, can yeah, they be spending? It's the major point of fixation. That's I, – I just don't get it. You know, but to making matters worse, how much time do they try putting it on the timeline to take it a, even a step further? How much time do they spend arguing about it? Okay, folks, if God's not the author of confusion and we're supposed to stay away from things that cause division and strife, those two things alone should set off major alarm bells in your mind immediately. Yeah, it should, because, I mean, you realize the most we should ever argue about, Brian, is one word. Just one word. Any word and any verse, that's actually what we're supposed to come together and do, Brian. That's Let's, let's just take, oh, what's one of the verses that I've talked about? Uh, what was the last one I talked about? Um... Uh, Luke twenty three twenty nine, I think, is the last thing we talked about. We can argue about what makarios means. Let's argue about makarios. Let's let's do that. You can say that it just means you know it means you're fortunate, or I can argue that it means supremely blessed. Because until we argue about every one of these words in this verse. Once you figure out what every word in this verse means in its text and tense, then there's no arguing about the verse itself, is there, Bri? If we agree on what every verse in this or every word in this verse means, there's no point to argue what the verse says, right? <laughs> Duh. Because if Brian and I agrees if we come up to an agreement on what every single word in that verse means, all of a sudden both of us have an intimate understanding of what Luke twenty-three twenty-nine says. And you cannot convince neither Brian nor I anything different. You cannot convince us anything different. So the most we're ever supposed to argue about is the dividing of a single word at a time. Brian, would you agree with that or disagree with that? Yep, I guess agree on that one. And you know what? Most people would find that most of our private conversation is pretty boring. Because actually, ladies and gentlemen... This is 
The God's honest truth. You can ask his wife. 99% of the private conversations that Brian and I had, Brian's just asked me about one word. He'll say, yeah, let's go to uh, you know, Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 17. You see that word? That Yeah, Matthew. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? It's been that topic over and over and over and over again. So most of our conversations you all would think was quite boring. Well, Matthew, why is that spelled that way? That's not the way it's supposed to be spelled in Hebrew. That's not what my dictionary says. Hey, man, that's got an extra vav in there. Yeah, it sure does. Well, then that can't be that word in the Strong's, Matthew. Well, Brian, let's take it to the bank. So most of our conversations you all would think was incredibly boring. But the wonders Brian and I have accomplished, just privately, not not talking about what we've done on air, and I don't know how many hours. Brian, how many hours have we logged a video, live broadcast? Uh, now, I do know the marathon show, that was seven hours. It was over seven hours long, wasn't it, that one one broadcast? But how many hours do you think we've logged publicly? I couldn't even begin to tell you a whole lot. And, ladies and gentlemen, you you would have been bored stiff, I guess. Because most of those man hours was talking about singular words. Which led to verses, which led to topics. But it was really wrapped around one word. Now, Brian, would you say we have more time personally, privately, talking than we do publicly? Would you say less or more? Honestly, probably more. Well, beyond any shadow of doubt, I mean, before I relocated, did you and I not talk every single day at least an hour? Every day? Yeah. Every single day? Yeah. So you're talking from 2010 to when did I really 2014? You would have to, at minimum, count one hour a day in private for all those days. I mean, you're talking over three years. So, I mean, we don't do that anymore since I had to relocate. Because my job switched up, but half the time I'd... Half the time I've got job issues and job problems, but... So it's kind of been broken up since I relocated, but, you know... Ladies and gentlemen, you all would think our conversations are boring. Who wants to talk about one single Greek word? You know, this magical theory the Greek word that is <laughs> twice removed associated with that theory in Revelation chapter 12 why did it 
why is it spelt funny? Since when in the Greek language is there a prefix ellipson? If you don't know, or your eschatology teacher don't know, or your pastor don't know, you need to get new ones because they don't they can't teach you anything. Because God doesn't babble, ladies and gentlemen. He just don't go blah, 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 blah. Every single word that comes out of his mouth will ever fall to the ground. I mean, just like we were talking about Zechariah chapter 2. Now that I think about it, Brian and I, um, in our conversation this morning, I just brought up the usage of one word in that chapter. Just one word. One Hebrew word. But of course I can't speak it here. I would have to speak it in either King James Version or New American Standard Bible Version or English Standard... At any rate, young man. Why does God say young man? Why is that used? Why is one angel having a conversation with another angel? Why is he coming out to meet him? It's important, and if you don't understand why God used that particular word in that particular verse, you don't know what is to come. Like I said, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It only means that if you be dwelling in the Holy Spirit, you've only been baptized, you're not sanctified. So with that in mind, I need to grab myself some more coffee, of course, and we will just go ahead and play uh, the Let Him Ride intro. By the way, (laughs) after this, we're going to talk about the timeline specifically. And it's important that you know that it is the writer's. Sent out to patrol that causes events in which provokes the martyrs at the altar in heaven to cry out. Just so you know. We'll be right back in four minutes, 55 seconds. If you can count that high. Gonna pull those pistols and whistle Dixie. Let's ride.
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the... I almost said the wrong thing. W-I-2-C Radio, what is to come. <laughs> Brian, did you get to listen to the new introductory song? I wanted to uh, get your feelings on that. Was that good or not? No, I bad? didn't. I wasn't up yet. Skype was taking forever to load, so I didn't get to hear it. have to well, check it out uh, later. Yeah, please do, because uh, Aaron has been insisting that I make an intro using that particular melody uh, for, I think, a couple of years. And finally, he just hounded me to the point, you know, he was insisting, on, well, yeah, I do need to make one for that, so let's just try it. So I hope you get a kick out of it. Um, so, Brian, let's, let's talk about the timeline. Why don't you bring up... You know what? You can cover your own if you want to. Do you have your own timeline of events? Uh, if not, just pick one of my timelines I've got there on the block spot and just rattle them off. Talk about it. Does it make sense or not? And until you hear me interject, you have the floor because I'm have, having trouble with my coffee maker, so I had to get some coffee inside, so... Give me about three minutes before I come back on the mic, but I'll let you know when I'm back, okay? All right. All right. Let's see here. I mean, looking at, you know, these varied timelines from the three that Matthew has built here from Psalm 78, I mean, you take these and put them on top of other similar timelines throughout the Bible, you're going to still come up with the very same ideas and things. So, you know, this first one, Egyptian slavery, worldly slavery, I'd say we're in phase two as we speak, and it's becoming ever more apparent as the days go on. Then we have the destruction of the firstborn, first Passover, Ten plagues, seven seals. Sea divided, time divided. Forty years, 1260 days. Enters promised land, enters kingdom. So we pull up the second phase. Celestial scapegoat exits Oort Cloud. Ten, ten days. Two years and under, folks. We've talked about that many times in the past. Unclean time. Comets and asteroids begin rogue orbits. Folks, did you catch that they uh, had an interloper come into the galaxy for the first time and go spinning past the sun and out? Yes, this just happened in the last few weeks. I think that might um, qualify as a rogue. Celestial scapegoat enters heliosphere. Yes, we have the 1010 plus the 1290. This gives you a totality of 2,300 days, folks. Day is equal to 24 hours, year 365 days. We will have signs in the planets. Well, we've had quite a few of those, have we not? Celestial scapegoat enters solar system. 45 days. Time goes topsy-turvy. How do we get to this number? Well, 1290, 
then we have 1,335 days, folks. That's where you come up with this 45 days. Or as we covered in the past when we did the program on the uh, the micro and macro World War One timeline, Balfour Declaration, 2345. 2,345 days. We can't tell time during this wobbling to and fro time frame. Yes, now you throw that in the midst of this. Then we come into the 1,260 days after these. All right, folks, I have seen people time and time and time again flip these. Put the 1260 where the 1290 is. That's not how it works. Okay. At this point in time, after we have been kicked off of our axis, moved back to the days of Noah, the day will equal 16 hours, and a year will be 360 days. And then... Celestial Pascal establishes order 1,000 years royal time. Rule and reign for 1,000 years. Order in the heavens. And then after this, what happens? Well, we know. So let's see here. Then we have the third portion here. Affliction of burdens. Bricks without straw. Or affliction of burdens, tasks, a task without resources. Marking of doorposts and lintels from Exodus 12, we have the ten plagues. It's parallel, the seven seals, the marking of those of the first resurrection, Revelation 7. First Passover, what is marked is left behind. Consecrated houses are abandoned. On the flip side of that, consecrated temples are abandoned. Last Passover, what is marked is left behind. So let's see, on to the next phase. Adults, 20 years and older, are numbered. Numbers 1, 40 years. On the flip side of that, 1,260 days. Children 2 years and under are numbered. Revelation 14. In the next phase, King David, Joab over army, Abishai over mighty men, enters into the promised land. Flip side of that, enters into the kingdom. Christ the king, primus numerus, primus resurrectorate. So, all right, sounds like you're back here. Go ahead. Yes, I am. I've I've been back since you were in the middle of the second one. So, all those are just the same things, and they're color-coded so people can, well, construct the timeline. These aren't timelines that I necessarily constructed. They are the ordering of the events, just, just like the one you just talked about. Who are the ones that are left behind, ladies and gentlemen? 
What is the inversion? What happens in time topsy-turvy? This is what I put. During the first Passover, that which was marked was left behind. Brian, what event am I talking about? How were they supposed to mark the, the doorpost and the headers over the doors? How were they supposed to mark that? With the blood of the Lamb. They were marked, and they left those houses behind, right, Brian? Yep. They didn't, they didn't take those houses with them, ladies and gentlemen. This is why Revelation chapter 7, you are given the rest of the number of those that are going to be murdered. That's why... In the Revelation, the latter chapters, it painfully describes to you, ladies and gentlemen, that those who will rule and reign with Christ were the ones that were beheaded. They are detailed in Revelation chapter 7 as being not only numbered, but sealed. It states that, quite regularly in any language that you pick to read from. And it's it's right there. Look, imagine that I'm talking about the houses where the children of Israel live. Just imagine in your mind that's what I'm talking about. You know that they sacrificed the Paschal Lamb well, let me speak in English. The Passover lamb, remember? And they were told, now look, put it on the doorpost and on the headers. Okay. Uh, the header is the beam that's above the door. Okay. Mark those, and you won't be harmed. And after it's done... You're going to leave those behind. Just imagining, just imagine that's what I'm talking about. Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Then he tells you who gets sealed. He gives you a count. He gives you a measurement. He gives you a weight. Why is he doing this, ladies and gentlemen? Why? Let's, let's describe this one more time, okay? The whole reason why these must be measured or weighed or counted is because starting in verse 9 of the previous chapter, this is what happens. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they maintained. Take note, ladies and gentlemen, this is just a different way to say exactly what is spoken of the rest of her children in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. I'll read it. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. See, he's literally telling you that's who these people are. Okay? Let me finish reading. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, 
<coughs> Please forgive me. <clears throat> How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed. That's why they're numbered, or they're measured, or they're weighed in chapter 7. You're supposed to know who and what they are. More importantly, what is what they're going to do at the end. I mean, he comes right out and tells you. Let's go. What happens? What happens? Talking about the same people. We're talking about what happened on the first timeline. On the first timeline, that which had been marked had been left behind. This group that is a completion of the martyrs, it's a completion of them, because God says, no, I'm not going to avenge your blood to those that are under the altar. I'm not going to avenge your blood until the martyring is complete. So let's see what happens. What? Why are they sealed? What happens? Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been headed because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. It was a shadow and a silhouette. So when you go back to the timelines that Brian was describing, the third one, that's what I'm talking about in the area designated red. The red area, let me read it again to refresh your mind. I just biblically explained it to you with multiple verses out of multiple chapters. I explained it to you. So now with that in mind, what I just told you, this is what I've detailed in this red portion of time. The first Passover, what is marked is left behind. That's what happened then. The consecrated houses are marked for protection, and then they're abandoned. Okay? What's going to happen when this isochronal event happens again? The consecrated temples are abandoned. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't be sealed by the Lord your God unless you're what? A temple of the Holy Spirit. All of these people are temples. So, utilizing exodusian exegesis before it was the houses. Now in Revelation chapter 7, it's the martyrs who will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now that portion in red should make sense to you. If you flip back 
to the second timeline, now it's going to make all kinds of sense why this crazy stuff has to happen then. God has told you he's going to kick you off your axis. Literally come out and told you that, no, really, you're not only going to stagger, you're going to stagger in your orbital path. That's what he says in Isaiah chapter 24. So literally, you're not going to be able to keep, to keep time. Because time is dependent on, number one, how fast we're spinning, and number two, how fast we're, we are revolving around the sun. Part two of that is, well, yes, it's important how fast we're spinning, but that is determined on what our diameter is. Part two of how fast we're rotating around the sun, well, ladies and gentlemen, that is also determined by part B. What's your distance from the sun? Because if you're going 10 miles an hour around the sun, but you're only 10 miles away, that's pretty fast. But if you're going 10 miles an hour, 100 miles away from the sun, it's going to take you quite more amount of time. You understand? So time has changed. Now, what blows me away is the top portion. I hope everybody realizes this was copyrighted in 1997. I had to go to, what was it? Um, what was the print shop back then, Brian? That real popular print shop. Um, not Kinko's. It was way before Kinko's. Um, do you remember? Anyway, it's not important. I had to get these manufactured on on like like banners and then slides, physical slides that you put in the slide projector, which people probably don't even know what I'm talking about now because you just use just use your computer. You take note that these were done. Decades before Brian and I was delivered unto us the proof that these things were going to be true because of the Nice model, most particularly the fifth gas giant Nice model, most importantly by Jupiter's Grand Tack. Man, I'm not lying to you. Ladies and gentlemen, you look at this, look at the top of these timelines. Let me just run down these. I want you to understand this, that me and Brian already described these events to you before NASA proved them mathematically to be true. This is really what's going to happen. This is from Timeline 2. Celestial scapegoat exits the Oort cloud. Celestial scapegoat enters heliosphere. When the celestial scapegoat enters the solar system, just like you can go watch animation from NASA with the fifth gas giant, that's exactly what's going to happen when time goes topsy-turvy. The celestial Pascal orders the solar system. That's when Jupiter does its grand tack and saves the entire solar system. The last portion, the thousand-year reign of Christ. The celestial Pascal establishes order. How does that happen? NASA will tell you that that event happens because Saturn stops Jupiter from plunging into the sun. 
Brian, what are your comments on that? Why don't you please explain to me? You know, we've never had this conversation, have we, Brian? I mean, that you and I have talked about all these things before the Thunderbolts project, before the Nice model was established with credibility, before Jupiter's Grand Tech was published in, oh, I think it was in Newsweek, I think it was in the New York Times. What's your thoughts on that, that we had talked about these things before the mainstream media backed us up? What's your thoughts on that, Brian? How do you take that? Because I don't think you and I have ever talked about it privately, the simple fact that it happened, but it did. It did happen. What's your thoughts on it, your feelings? Well, I mean, this is just something I was just looking over in the background and thinking about on top of it, but where did all this start? Well, locking in the timeline, folks, you kind of have to go back in history and to make matters worse, you have to undo the nonsense that's been brought into the timeline, historically speaking, and get things on the proper path. When we began discussing this, how we came down to the timeline we've been discussing nonstop here for years, well, I got a weird idea in my head. Matthew didn't even see this one coming. But this kind of came down to the 12 BC comet. You know, I had this suspicion, well, if we had this sign at the time of between the 12 BC comet and the 10 BC ghost comet, something tells me there's going to be something there the first time around the ride with the slaughter of the innocents at the time of Moses. Led me down a very strange path because when you start getting into ancient astronomical texts within other cultures, things begin to get very strange, very difficult. Yet for some odd reason, in my mind, I knew two places to look, India, China. Because I know those uh, cultures have survived for a very long time throughout history. Oddly enough, this led to the cycle of cosmic catastrophes, which I already worked out tons upon tons of work on this after discovering some major events that had happened in the, uh, was it 80-year window prior to Moses' birth, I believe, off the top of my head. At that same time, they just released to the public the Nice model after we already had been working through these things and discussing them in the background, which, as Matthew kind of pointed out, was a little, hmm. A little, huh? That's an understatement. Because I just, I just believed. I mean, when the Lord my God told me that, hey, by the way, when you see the sign of the Son of Man, it's going to rattle your cage. I, Brian, the Indians, and the Chinese both knew what the sign of the Son of Man was. It's Jupiter. And yet, 
ladies and gentlemen, this is true. Brian's the one that sent me the link to this niece model, and we did a broadcast on it. You can ask all of in our immediate our immediate family, all of them. Uh, those being uh, John Kelly Startwell, uh, uh, the two sisters, uh, Joni and Janie, uh, 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 all of them. They all listen to it. Brian sent me the information. Michael, what do you say? He goes, look at this this uh, this automation, and it shows. Five gas giants, lot of Jupiter comes in, and then that gas giant is ejected out of the solar system. And I'm just like, oh my God, it's true. I had no reason to believe it outside of the fact that's what God said. And from the very day one that Brian sent me a message, from the very first day, I was invited on his broadcast. And I think it was the next day or the day after that, he sent me prayer. Since that very time, I always said the same thing to Brian. I don't care what it says. Whatever the Bible, God's holy word says, that's what I believe, whether it proves me to be an idiot or not. And he sends me this link, and I'm sitting there looking at it like, well, that animation proves that there was a celestial scapegoat. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to process that. <laughs> I'm not joking. I didn't know how to process it. Brian, back to you. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, that is the gist of things, though, is with working with the timeline, that had to take a massive stroll down history to get things sorted out. I mean, folks, they've had you misled to what timing the exodus was. They're doing it all over again now with a new release from an archaeological find where they're claiming that somehow gives them the proper timing again, and they just keep going in these circles. But, you know, we have plenty of documented history, and there's been no reason for them to confuse everybody on the spots where they have, and one of the biggest ones, well, the timing of the temple being rebuilt, and they've got you absolutely and completely confused. And I mean, this is, uh, you know, for instance, we covered this in the 1917 COG, because they make a very peculiar statement in a uh, video series I was watching, and I wanted to get to the bottom of it. And when you take this uh, from the Balfour Declaration and run it backwards by the years, you end up at the time the decree went out during Artaxerxes in the book of between Ezra, Nehemiah, so on and so forth. But they try to tell you for some very dumb reason, I don't know what else to call it, that the temple was finished at the time of Darius I. Even though the book of Ezra and Nehemiah gives you an exact timeline that all you have to do is pull up the Persian king's list and you go, oh, wait a minute. Well, the temple couldn't have been rebuilt until Darius II. And yet somehow you pull up the Wikipedia article and it's going to tell you Darius won. Anybody care to explain that to me? These things become important 
they really do. Because if you don't have a starting point to understand the timeline, how it is that suddenly 1917 is amplified, how it is that 2017 is suddenly amplified, well, you're just going to be absolutely confused. Well, you know, Brian, what really frustrates me is the two absolute, well, now three, three absolute perfect weapons of mass distraction have been formulated against, well, these very timelines that we're talking about. Number one, the rapture. Number two, Nibiru. Number three, the flat earth. It was almost like all three of those cunningly devised fables has come about since the very day that you and I were born. Brian? I mean, look, ladies and gentlemen, everybody knows that it wasn't until the 70s that all the churches acquired copies of Left Behind. I'm not lying. Well, Brian, we're down to 60 seconds. We only have 15 minutes in overdrive. But what's your thoughts about that? That all three of these cunningly devised fables is the only thing that gets in the way of delivering a proper chronological timeline to those women that are preparing their garments. Your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, that's just it. The absolute perfection of that timing, those three topics seem to come over and over and over again. And I I can't even, I'm not even certain how to even fathom how in the world flat earth came into this equation. I mean, there was a, uh, somebody posted a entertaining little photo on Twitter earlier in the week. And they said, Hmm, we've yet to see an eclipse that looks like this. And they took and drew a straight line through the moon as the shadow. I just don't get it. I really don't comprehend how in the world it's come to this one. You know, the infamous uh, Nibiru thing, that's, uh, wow. Same time frame. I guess I've upset. Go ahead. Same time frame. Look it up, ladies and gentlemen. Go to 1970. Go to 1970. And you'll find all three of these. But this last one did not flourish until Brian and I got together. Go back to 2010, you'll find that's when the resurgence was. Am I right or am I wrong, Brian? Yep.
You're right on that. It just blows me away. And you know what? Let let me say something because I said something that contradicted something that's written on these these timelines. I use a Pasco instead of saying the Passover lamb. Let me explain why I did that. Because scapegoat is one word in our language. I use the one word to define that in our language. But a lot of people don't know what, what I was talking about. The Paschal Lamb, ladies and gentlemen, is the Passover Lamb. So I should have put that on there, but I was thinking in Hebrew, and I needed just one word, so I used one word. So you can all look that up. The Paschal is the Passover Lamb. But with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, come to grips with that. These are cunningly devised fables. They are weapons of mass distractions since the me decade. I'm not lying to you. I will go there right now. I will look it up. I'm going to Wikipedia right now. Me decade. Right here. It appeared on the front cover August 23rd, 1976 of the New York Magazine. Just go to uh, Wikipedia. You can get all the lowdown on this. The term me decade describes the general new attitude of Americans in the 1970s since Brian and I. I'm not lying to you. So it just, <laughs> this is when the prophecy was fulfilled that men would be lovers of themselves. Everybody knows it. Psychologists, historians, everybody in academia, no matter what discipline they are in academia, all know this, except American Christians. And it blows me away. It blows me away that everybody was taken... Everybody had forgotten about the movie Left Behind. This generation had the resurgence of it, of course, with the book series. Don't you realize... Uh, when that come out? Oh my goodness. Really, ladies and gentlemen, why did they name that series of books those two false teachers? Why did they name it the same name as the movie series that was circulated amongst all the churches in the 70s.
Food for thought, ladies and gentlemen. Um, next week, uh, you can expect to see. I'm just planning on Thursdays. Brian and I will get together and do a What Is To Come, WI2C Radio. We need your input. Send me questions about the timeline because Brian and I need to cover it. You need to get your garments ready if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you haven't been, there's really nothing I can do for you. But if you can at least determine that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we need your input so we can tell you what to do so that you can make your garments ready. I mean, just like, you know, teenagers, their mother has, has to teach them, well, you iron a shirt this way. You hang up your slacks this way so they don't get a wrinkle in them. You have to button up your dress when you put it on the hanger. So, and then make sure that nothing is touching your dress so don't get wrinkled, yada, yada, yada. Brian and I need to tell you what to do, how to do it, in order for you to prepare your garments. That can be accomplished either via Facebook. I'm all over it. I've got my personal profile in Time Tribune. We have a page in Time Tribune and a group in Time Tribune. So you can send me a message that way if you don't like that. Uh, if you do Twitter, you can send me a message on Twitter. If not... The email is very simple. It is not a Gmail account. It's not Gmail. It's just mail. Intimetribune at mail.com. Brian, your closing comments, please. And don't forget to get your uh, contact information out there, buddy. It looks like uh, we've just got a few minutes left. Well, closing comments are... We'll be working through these things over the course of the next, uh, well, this could end up taking quite some time, but rushing things doesn't help anybody. You can find me on Twitter at Overt Attention Show. You can find me at my website at OvertAttentionShow.com. And if you need to contact me, thebandsoftime at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I do hope that you enjoyed the broadcast. Please do like, share, and subscribe uh, with everyone that you know to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Get this information out there. If you don't want to uh, uh, share this, if you think it's you know you don't want to uh, support us. Uh, then at least start taking notes so that you can start your own classes or your own groups or forums. Because I, Brian and I, it's not personal. You need to get your garments ready if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need to do this now. So whether you give us credit or not, we really don't care. None of this has been monetized. None of the thousands of hours of public broadcasting that Brian and I have done has ever been monetized. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter to us. We're just trying to explain to you how you get your garments ready. 
Because you're really going to see the sign of the Son of Man coming. NASA's done proved it. You better get ready for it. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host, Matthew Miller. God bless. Godspeed. <laughs>